0: The too, but he was not as forthcoming. Joel had his own language, right? Yeah. How was he? Ordinary. Ordinary. That means he sucked. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's fine. Yeah. Didn't know it. He was just okay. But yeah, that was. And but Richardson is—he's a guy who who he just—he's he strikes me as a guy who's he just tells the truth. Yeah. And let the chips fall where What's they may. And I, that? nothing. That's how Everybody should be all the time. All right. What do you got? That's it. That's he's, it. He's that's handsome. all you got. That's all it. Right. That's all I got. We got five. All right. Everybody knows the rules. Yeah. Five. <laughs> Five or done. Here's, here's the other thing. We may see history at the United Center on Tuesday night. Alex Ovechkin scored his 796th last night. An mm-hmm. empty netter. P- please 800 not being empty. Net. It shouldn't be on the ice. For I an think empty. it should be. Oh. He's probably got 200 of those in his uh, career. Probably does, <laughs> but you don't want to see no, 800 that way. No. So they have a game tomorrow, the Capitals. Let's just say he gets two. Mm-hmm. Comes to the madhouse on Madison, 1901 West Madison on Tuesday night. Yep. It's on ESPN, and he's two goals away from 800. Get some electricity, huh? Yeah, that would be spectacular. Morazic returning, probably to the crease. That's a good way to get to uh, to 800, right there. So, yeah, there, it, it's. It's remarkable that these guys are still doing it. I, I did a blog about Crosby this week. Like he's he's on pace for forty seven goals and one hundred and ten points at thirty five years old. So those two guys lived up to expectations when the league needed them most. Those two guys, there are Magic and Bird, and they've been great forever. So it's credit to them. That's going to do it for the hockey show, otherwise known as the prices. Right? Don't forget to have your pet spayed or neutered uh, for. Chief Barstool Chief, I am Pat Boyle. Up next, Jesse Rogers and White Sox Weekly. Weekly, this is ESPN One Thousand. This is
1: White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go, Lance Lynn, with an absolute gem. host, Connor McKnight.
2: And welcome to White Sox Weekly. Jesse Rogers with you, sitting in for Connor McKnight. Connor has the day off. Good to be with you on this Saturday afternoon, post the winter meetings. I was out there in San Diego. We will discuss with you, it's going to be a fast-moving hour here on White Sox Weekly this week, as we will have a little roundtable of reporters that were in San Diego. Daryl Van Scowen from the Sun-Times and James Feagan from the Athletic will join me in about 10 minutes to discuss all the goings-ons, White Sox and otherwise. Lots of money being spent so far this offseason. Not a ton by the White Sox so far. They did sign Mike Clevenger. There's probably some trade winds that will be blowing soon for the White Sox as the free agent uh, sort of frenzy starts to subside, though there are some big names still out there. Not sure if the White Sox are really in the market for one of the bigger ones, but we will discuss it all with you. 312-332-3776 is the phone number. If you want to jump on right now, Jesse Rogers with you till three. We do an hour of White Sox weekly during the offseason, two hours during the season. Again, 312-332-3776. If you want to sound off on anything good or bad about the White Sox or baseball so far this offseason. The hot stove, like I said, really heated up in San Diego. And let me just take a little um pivot and talk about the winter meetings. I get asked a lot, what goes on at the winter meetings? What are the winter meetings exactly? Well, it's basically the entire baseball interest, industry congregating in one place for four days every December. It moves around. Uh, eventually repeats where it goes. Uh, same hotel in San Diego that it was like three years ago and six years ago. San Diego is one of um, the favorite stops. It's been in Nashville, not even a, a Major League Baseball city. It'll be down in Orlando. Um, it's been in Vegas before this year. Back in San Diego at the Grand, um, at the Manchester Grand Hyatt, I believe is the name of the hotel. Um, so I was there. As I mentioned, James Feegan from The Athletic, Daryl Van Scowen from The Sun-Times. Uh, beat reporters for the White Sox, they were there. Every city had its beat reporters there and national columnists, and everybody basically congregates in this place with all the teams and many, many agents. Uh, At some point during the week, just about every agent was through that hotel. Some are there for the whole week, like Scott Boris. Some are there with just a couple clients for a a day or two, Monday and Tuesday, then they get out, and it's basically GMs meeting with GMs, GMs meeting with agents, and then reporters trying to track down those agents and those GMs. Sometimes there's organized times to uh, speak with the GMs. Uh, there's no organized times with the agents. You just got to find them or set something up with them. And then there's two days, Monday and Tuesday, where each manager from every team holds a mini presser for about 20 minutes that anybody can attend, any media can attend. So Pedro Graffal had a press conference on Tuesday afternoon about three o'clock Pacific or it was, wasn't, I can't remember what time it was, two, three o'clock Pacific time. And so any uh, media local or outside of Chicago could attend that press conference. Usually it's the local media. And then you get some, some stragglers from outside the city asking sort of big picture questions and, and stuff like that. So uh, like I said, James Vegan and Daryl Van Scowen were talking to Pedro Graffal as I was as well. And then, Every day there's organized times with the GMs from every team. So in this case, Rick Kahn spoke both uh, Monday and Tuesday and quickly on Wednesday as the the meetings wrapped up after the Rule 5 draft. So that's kind of what goes on, and you get updates every day. And, you know, some GMs reveal more than others. Some GMs have more going on than others. In this case, the White Sox didn't have a ton of news because they are on – Um, or in the trade market. And as Rick mentioned, every day there are other GMs GMs as well. The trade market was very quiet um, as the free agent market heated up because a lot of teams kind of want to know if they're getting a guy in free agency. If they're not, they will pivot to the trade market. Some years the trade market comes not first, but almost simultaneously as the free agent market. This particular year, maybe because there were some huge names out there or maybe because there's tons of money to be spent this particular year free agents went first and we will see the trade market heat up probably in the next couple weeks and and certainly into January as well as everybody knows the baseball offseason is pretty unique compared to the other ones um, the other ones happen in more in a in a more timely manner free agency and trades and then you kind of have a month off and then you get to you know, NHL camps, NHL camps, and, and NBA camps, and all that stuff. Whereas baseball, the offseason just kind of continues all the way till spring training. So you can see moves in December, January, even early February. Trades happen sometimes in spring training. So uh, you can never put a timeline. People ask me all the time, when, when, when are the Sox going to make a trade? When are they going to sign someone? And it's really hard to handicap. Sox signed Mike, Mike Clevenger before. The winter meetings began. Jacob deGrom signed with the Rangers before the winter meetings began. Meetings begin, and all of a sudden, Trey Turner signs with the Phillies, and then Aaron Judge goes back to the Yankees. Um, one of the other shortstops comes off the board. Alexander Bogarts at the last minute, at least the last minute, of the winter meetings, signs with the Padres. Yet there are two shortstops still to sign, Carlos Correa and Dansby Swanson. So uh, no one ever knows the timing of these things because there's so many layers to it. J.S.B. Swanson, for example, is getting married today. So he was maybe a little preoccupied this week. There's personal things that go on and obviously the professional side of things. Some agents wait longer than others. Scott Boris kind of comes to mind. Other agents um, move a little bit quicker. And for example, Joe Kelly's agents um, actually have a history of signing quicker than other agents. Um, And actually, Joe's Joe Kelly agent is the same as Mike Clevenger. So not it wasn't shocking to me that when the White Sox signed Clevenger, it happened when it did. So that's the only way to handicap timing. Certain agents like to move a little quicker than others. But in general, it's really the pace of the player, even more than the team. The team would like to get it done as soon as possible. Usually by now, the offers are all out there, at least initial offers. And if a player wants to jump quickly, he'll do that. Other times, he's waiting for a better offer or getting more out of the team that's already made the initial offer. So anyway, that's what went on at the winter meetings, and and one reason why the White Sox were kind of quiet after signing Mike Clevenger. Now we can discuss why they're not doing more in free agency. Um, there's a lot of money being spent. White Sox spent a little bit of it on Clevenger, but... Um, It doesn't sound like they're going after any of the big names. Obviously, a few have have come off the board. Wouldn't it be great if they had a reunion with Carlos Rodon? That would be cool. It doesn't sound like that's happening. The White Sox were very transparent, even going back to the general managers meetings, which happened in early November, and that's just a smaller subset of meetings that go on. Um, They were pretty transparent about where they were going to make their moves. It was going to be in the trade market more than free agency. Payroll is probably going to be similar to last year. Again, we can discuss that and why that is. Other teams loading up on players, spending a lot of money. And I, I think this was, to me, a little predictable because I saw the health of this game improving. The labor, you know, problems are in the past, right? There's labor peace revenues are returning there was almost 11 billion post pandemic here this last year pre-pandemic there was about 10 billion in revenues in baseball so revenues are going in the right direction gambling has helped and I think the health of the sport on the field is going to get better which is going to help attendance and ratings as we see these rule changes put into place so I think owners are, are I think progressive owners are sort of seeing that the sport is healthy or will be healthier And they're making huge investments. Not always probably the best business deals. I mean, is is Xander Bogarts and Trey Turner going to be great players for 11 years for their new teams? Probably not. Probably not. We used to think six-year deals were, were too long. Now we're up to 11. But obviously, the ownership of those teams doesn't care about those last four or five, even six years of the contracts. They're trying to win now. Other teams are taking a more measured approach. The White Sox aren't the only team in that category. Now, uh, when we get to our roundtable, I think the discussion is going to be about Pedro Grafal as it is um, about Rick Hahn, because they are certainly counting on Grafal to improve this team from within. And it starts with health, of course. They've addressed that in a lot of ways, turning over how they prepare for, for the season and hiring new people in, the, in that department. And we'll see how spring training changes a little bit. And then we hear the word accountable a lot. That's the word we hear coming out of Pedro Grifol and Rick Hahn's mouth a lot. They want this team to be more accountable. And it's strange to hear that because traditionally, Tony LaRusso's teams were very accountable. But I think, and I've said this before on these airwaves, I think Tony, in returning to the game for the first time in a decade, bent over backwards to connect with his players. And I think he went a little too far. And one day I want to talk to Tony about this. You know, more time needs to pass, and hopefully his health is doing well. But I think Tony, again, with the age difference and being out of the game, tried to connect. And that's what you – look, connecting with your players is the number one most important thing you need to do as a manager for a new team, especially one out of the game for 10 years. But I think he he bent over backwards and didn't hold them – as accountable as he should have. So the intentions were good, but he went too far. I think hopefully Pedro Grafal will find that middle ground and be able to still be respected and maybe even liked a little bit. You know, you want to be liked at least a little bit by your players, but also be a guy that can um, sort of put down the hammer when he needs to. They played some sloppy defenses and, and, and were sloppy on the base pass as well, and that's something that a manager can certainly clean up. All right. Quarter after the hour here on World, White Sox Weekly. I'm Jesse Rogers here till 3 o'clock. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll set things up for our roundtable. James Feegan and Daryl Van Skowen, longtime beat reporters of the White Sox, will join me and we'll discuss all of this and especially what went on at their winter meetings. If you have a question, 312 332 3776 is the number. You can tweet me at Jesse Rogers, ESPN as well. This is, what-
1: this is Chicago's home for sports. On app, the ESPN Chicago app, in HD, 100.3 HD2, and of course on AM, ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Ladies
2: and, Ladies gentlemen. and gentlemen. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Jesse Rogers with you. Connor McKnight has the date off here till three o'clock. We'll take your phone calls in a bit, but right now, I want to do a little roundtable with a couple guys that cover the White Sox on a daily basis, both home and road. They were in San Diego with myself, longtime beat reporter from the Sun-Times, Daryl Van Scowen, and James Fegan from The Athletic joining me, guys. Thank you so much, and, and feel free to jump in back and forth. You don't have to wait for me to talk. I'll let you guys uh, rock and roll with this. But let's start with sort of a big-picture thing, and, and it certainly does feel like, guys, that um, that they are asking Rick— Hahn to be Houdini here. I, I go back to what uh, Ozzy Guillen said on TV on the final day of the year, I think, uh, after it was known that um, Tony Russo was moving on. And I thought it was so smart. He said the easiest thing the White Sox will do this offseason is hire a new manager. The tough part will come with the roster. And I think that's going to be proven to be true. They picked a pretty good one, it looks like, uh, in Pedro Grafal. But now Rick Hahn, with limited funds, it sounds like, and a farm system on paper that doesn't have top-end prospects. They're sort of asking him to pull a rabbit out of his hat. I just want to get your take on on, on sort of that big-picture idea of their offseason. We'll go with age before beauty. So, Daryl, you start.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, it's very obvious there. Uh, and, Jesse, how are you doing? Good to hear I'm from you, I'm doing
2: good, good. Good to be with good. you both.
3: Good. They're uh, obviously, you know, working with uh, – a, uh, a limited budget, which is something that uh, fans certainly don't want to hear, and you know, not at a time when all these big money players are going off the board, and you know, the type of players that could be, you know, game tape, game changer type, type players. But um, you know, I, I think they have about uh, you know fifteen million maybe to spend under budget. They don't want to go past the budget last year, what they had last year. Um, you know, very obviously, have a need in uh, probably in left field, and another one in second, at second base. And um, I think it's possible that, you know, they, they look at the outfield first, and um, if if need be, I, I don't think it's out of the question that they kind of hang their hat on uh, maybe romeo Gonzalez at second base. Uh, I might be wrong, but um, you know, that's what that's what we're kind of looking at now, in my view.
2: And how does he do that, James? Via trade unless it's from the major league team, it really sounds like anything of major impact would have to come off the major league team. Am I wrong? James, you there, James, Daryl, James, anybody there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we gotta well, ch- um... we'll check on James, uh, a little technical problem, but uh, it does feel like any major trade has to subtract from the major league team. Uh, right Daryl.
3: Yeah. And you know, I, you know, Liam Hendricks, name is, is out there. And, um, you know, I don't know that that's, that, that is something that you want to do. Of course, it always depends on, on what the return is. Right. Um, I mean, in, in, in my view, I mean, the thing that you, you kind of tinker with there is, um, um, you know, let let's say you are a, you know, a postseason team, you get, you get down to the, you get down to the postseason, even the, uh, uh, if you're fortunate enough to get to the the World Series, he's a, he's the kind of guy you want on on your roster. He's the kind of the guy you want out there in the ninth inning. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't know about that. It all depends on um, you know on need and um, you know, what they can get. And uh, you know, Jesse, who's out there that would be looking for uh, a closer in uh, you know December and January?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, you do get more value out of a closer in july than you do in december the other thing is i think the reason he could be out there is it's the one position that if you're sort of your hands are sort of tied budget wise and farm system wise it's the one position you might be able to convince yourself okay we'll figure it out we'll figure it out in spring training we will elevate kendall graveman who's done it a little bit in the past someone will emerge in april the problem with that thinking is many times by the time May rolls around, you've blown some games in the ninth, and all of a sudden – and remember, ninth-inning losses are ten times worse than third-inning losses, meaning it's so demoralizing. So when May comes around, you really could be kicking yourself in the butt if you're blowing games. But I do think it's the one position that if you're desperate, you could trade from and convince yourself you can, you can fill the position. James, do we have you back? No, James? But that that's where I think, Daryl, that um, – that that's where maybe Liam's out there a little bit more. I, 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 I look, he can't be the only one. They're probably, you know, they have to take her a little bit with Lucas because he could leave in a year, though. That again takes away from, the, you know, who do you pitch in Lucas's place? So there's, you know, once you take someone out, you got to replace them. But desperate times call for desperate measures, I guess.
3: Right, they, and there, there is a fair amount of depth in in the in the bullpen. But uh, you know, bullpens are always, you know, die, that's always a dicey uh, area from, from year to year, isn't it? So, uh, you know, big, big question marks there. Um, I don't know about, uh, I think, you know, I think he's a guy, uh, they know he's in a contract year. And I think, um, I think they're counting on him to be, um, uh, to be motivated. Not that he needs any more motivation. He's a motivated kind of guy, but, um, you know, I think they're, I think they're expecting him to be a, a part of that rotation and, uh, the, the rotation as it is, uh, if you look at the top five, you know on paper, uh, it, it looks fine. You know, it looks it looks good, but there's not any wiggle room there at all for any you know any kind of injury or uh, anything like that. So it's not it's not a real deep rotation, and uh, I mean there's three there's three guys there with Lynn, Kopech, and uh, Clevenger, who uh, who all have or had knee issues too that are, you know, that, that sort of need to be uh, figured out too. So um, I'm not sure that that I would uh, tinker much with that with that rotation.
2: Yeah, knee issues that need to be monitored. I think that's the best way of putting it. Right. Visiting with visiting with Dere Van Scal from the Sun Times. We're trying to get James Fegan from the Athletic back on some uh, technical difficulties. Um, uh, you mentioned left field. Now I was at the World Series when Pedro Grafal was hired, so I wasn't at that press conference. I, I, and I may have missed this. It didn't come up really this week when we were talking to Rick. But I mean, is it been determined, and does Eloy know that he's being the full time DH? I mean, I I kind of think Eloy's going to be out there some. And remember, there's still Gavin Sheets, who right now is your most dangerous left handed hitter. I don't care what anyone says, he is. He came on pretty well in the second half last year. So I've heard other people mention left field. I, I, tell to tell me about this. What what am I missing? Is it is is that wide open? Is that a position that's wide open?
3: Well, in in my view, I think um, they have to use Aloy at, at DH for a couple of reasons to keep uh, <clears throat> to keep him healthy and to be better defensively. Now, I don't think. Um, you know you what know, players are it, it, it can be kind of a delicate balance between here's what we want you to do here's what we think you should do we know what you, what you want to do he obviously wants to play the outfield um, I think they want to leave the the possibility open for him they want him to go to spring training and he'll you know he has to play a position when he's out there right so get out there work at it and um, you know they'll, they'll probably give him some games out there but uh, I do not think that they, they plan on, on using him much out there but i think you know they'll let him play a few games out there i don't know what what the number is and i think sheets could you know if he's part of the team if he's not part of a trade and i don't know that he would be i think he could also be uh you know part of that mix out there he's probably probably better suited for left field than right um but yeah i I think they're definitely looking at uh, at the outside for for a regular, everyday left fielder. They, they, they want another bat, you know, and, and preferably uh, a left-handed bat. I think uh, Colas is going to be given every, Oscar Colas, their top Cuban prospect, he'll be given every chance to, uh, to make the team in, in, in spring training, and I, I think that's what they're kind of planning on doing.
2: All right. You know, these technical difficulties, I think, are that we have to, to have you both on the air at the same time is a problem. So I'm going to move over to James for a second, Daryl. Hold on. Let's move okay. over to, to James I can for a second. Hear you if there you go, James. I hear you. You're on. You're there. James, I think we got you back. I, th- I In any case, James, let's get him on from the from the athletic if we're if we can't get him on both at the same time because of some technical difficulties. Um, James, are you there? Do we got him uh Kendra any any uh any word from James going once going twice Kendra's producing the show today James can you hear me I can't hear him if so all right let's take a break we we'll reset we'll reset with James Feegan from the Athletic we we were due for a break anyway want to keep on this topic and also just get back to what went on at the winter meetings Jesse Rogers here doing a little uh back and forth roundtable we heard from Daryl Vince from the Sun Times We'll get to James Vegan after the break here on ESPN 1000. Stay tuned. We are talking White Sox.
1: This is White Sox Weekly. If you missed the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
2: Rogers here. Connor McKnight is off. We're trying to do a little round table, but technical problems prevented me from putting Daryl Van Scowen from the Sun-Times and James Fegan from the Athletic on at the same time. So we talked to Daryl. Now we'll talk to James separately, if he can hear us. James, are you there? Uh, I am. There we go. Sorry about that, friend. I uh, apologize about the technical problems. I want to pick up where we left off with James. and I think you were there when I asked uh, Rick Hahn about Gavin Sheets. He seems to be the I don't know if it's the odd man out, but not necessarily a guy with a position. But currently, it's my opinion that he's as important at the plate as anyone because he's your one true left-handed slugger because Mankata hasn't shown that recently and Grandel's been injured and hasn't shown that recently. And at least in the second half, it seemed like Sheets found his stroke a little bit. Where does Gavin Sheets, in your opinion, fit into this team? Or is he part of a trade package potentially this offseason?
4: I certainly think in terms of who they could move from the current position core, I think he'd probably be part of that group of not someone who's viewed as like immovable yeah. Uh, because as you said, he doesn't have a position, but there's also value in having a bat who can kind of float around. I don't think he has a spot where he's going to play 130 games next season, but I think he's somebody who, if you needed to, and if you like the matchup, he could play in a core outfield. He wouldn't want to do it all the time. I think if you need to, if you're resting Vaughn, uh, he could play first base, probably fine. And, you know, if he's facing a right-handed pitcher, uh, you know, he could DH on a, on a given night. And I think there's probably – it wouldn't be impossible to find a guy like that uh, 400 to 500 PAs, maybe 500 to a high end, against right-handed pitching. Because, as you said, once he got – came back from getting an option AAA for two weeks, he was solid. He was probably around an 800 OPS guy against right-handed pitching. That's, that's a big leaguer. That's somebody who helps you. It just maybe doesn't put him in position, given that he has to be platoon and that the defense is not what you want to roll out, you know, every day of the year, um, doesn't have a set position. So I I think he's valuable, um, to certainly to someone. Um, I just don't think he says, you say he's your left fielder, he's your right fielder type of situation.
2: Yeah. I think there's probably more in him than less, whether we get to see it here in Chicago or not, is yet to be to know to be known, but it did feel like, um, he was coming on and, and maybe he is a 20 plus Homer guy, but, but we'll see. We'll see if he's part of that package. You know, I talked to Daryl a lot about, you know, Han and the roster makeup. Let's let's talk about Pedro Grafahl. Um I was describing what went on in the winter meetings, and I didn't even mention, you know, Wednesday morning, we're able to have a breakfast with him. And it's it's like the Chicago reporters and, and the manager, in this case, Pedro Grafal, But they do this every year at the winter meeting. So we got to know him and learn a little bit more about him. And we keep hearing this word accountable. Do you have like a quick takeaway that's – um evolved since he was hired considering we saw him a few days in a row there and then obviously having that breakfast so what's your what's your quick takeaway or, or your latest takeaway on Pedro Grafal?
4: well it's funny you say we do it every year but we never because of circumstances we never got to do it it's Tony totally Russo uh which probably wouldn't quite an experience um <laughs>
2: yeah.
4: you know and t- talking to his assistant uh you know I, I think the the first thing here with an accountability is that Uh, you know, just kind of taking guys to task or, uh, you know, when there's screw-ups on the field and there's mental errors, uh, putting some sort of responsibility forward or maybe consequences or benching guys. But, you know, something as assistants have driven home is the idea of these guys have to be properly prepared. They have to be properly scouted, uh, you know, have the information about the pitcher they're facing. They have to have the level of detail about the stuff they're going to see and how to attack it before you hold them accountable. That accountability comes out of them being prepared. So I think a lot of the stuff that Honus at home is talking about more advanced and more detailed game prep than maybe it's been had, and that when you have that and guys know how they're going to be attacked and know what kind of movement they're going to see out of a right-handed pitcher, uh, then you can start being like, well, where do we mess up? Because you knew what this guy was going to throw. You knew what it was going to look like. Uh, we've done all this work. Then you can start being accountable. I think a more technical, more advanced game prep is, is where they're really hitting home is the root of this.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right. James Feigen from The Athletic joining me here on White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Jesse Rogers with you. Um, as far as the accountability factor, I mean, it usually goes like this in like an NFL locker room or organization. You get the sort of the stricter coach. And then when that doesn't work, you go to sort of the laid back one. And then you go to the stricter one. It, I mean, it happens in baseball as well. And it's just weird to think of Tony La Russa as not sort of a, a, a stricter guy that – cares about fundamentals but I think he did end up you know leaving it a little He was a little bit of a lax atmosphere there and not not addressing it in the right way I uh, may- maybe he addressed it. I'm sure he did but not in the right way it feels like Pedro Grafal is the right guy in the right moment with the right kind of message with the right background and even his ethnicity comes into play you're being of of Latin American descent and being able to connect with those kind of players so I think that's a plus, but it's a lot to ask him to do all of it without a roster shakeup. Do you, do you kind of feel it the same way, that this, this is a lot on him uh, as much as it is anybody else to fix this team?
4: Yeah, I mean, there's going to be moves, but so far it looks like maybe one of the big threads of uh, you know how they hope to be better this season is, hey, we built a roster we thought was pretty good. What if it was better managed? Uh, maybe that would be a, a, a situation that, where it looks a lot as good as we thought it was going to be. Now, I think there are warts that rose up in the, uh, the roster or flaws that we saw over the course of the year that certainly need to be addressed. And, yeah, it would be too much to just give the run it back and give it to Pedro Gapol and say, hey, we actually think this is a 95-win team and you're going to be the guy fast with bring it out. But I, I think you, you hit the point around the head with the kind of flip between laid-back manager. And, yeah, it was surprising. For Tony to be that but you know some the, one of the main threads uh you know when he started was the players saying you know we think it's going to work out we don't think it's gonna be too much of a culture smash because what he's saying is that we get to kind of manage ourselves that we're going to run the clubhouse ourselves uh he's going to make the decisions and he's going to kind of trust us to be a veteran group and coming out of 2020 season where this team kind of you know made such a big improvement you thought yeah that sounds like a good idea but I think the last two seasons have kind of shown this is not really a team that should be trusted to run itself. This is a team that needs kind of that, uh, you know, someone poking from behind. Because we did not see the team ability to kind of rally on their own over the course of the last few years. Certainly last year, this is a team that really kind of needs someone to be on them to, to work at their best because the consistent focus was not there.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right. Letting the inmates run the asylum is never a good idea. But it, it's a, in all seriousness, it's a delicate balance. You do like accountability within the room, but you need a strong manager to sort of enforce it in a way. Um, And, and, you know, Tony just wasn't necessarily maybe the same guy as he was a decade earlier. Um, Well, Pedro seems to have those qualities, but we don't know. Nobody knows for sure. Nobody, not even the people that hired him, obviously, until he does it for the first time. Let's go back to Rick Conn because we just got done with the winter meetings. and That really is about, the front office, Um, I know everybody would have liked to see them spend more money and, and, you know, sign up Justin Verlander and a few other people. Um, But at least they spent money in an area in the most important area of the team. And that was starting pitching. And maybe they'll spend a few more dollars on the pitching staff. Um, But the the trade that could be or would be or should should be happening. uh, Where do you think? They, it comes from. I mean, they have a couple guys in the minors that might bring you something back. It's Liam Hendricks. It's Lucas Giolito with a year left. Is it is it bigger than that? Is it Tim Anderson who is who's under you know decent uh, you know team friendly contract for the next couple of years? Where do you think it comes from in order to bring back something that helps this team? Well,
4: I definitely don't think it's Tim Anderson. It's only because we've heard at this point that you know from other teams that they they've asked and that's not happening. Um, so I. I think, as much as there are issues with it, or uh, you know he, he's someone who's performed really well, I certainly see the logic in Hendricks just because he makes a sizable amount of money, and he's performed so well that you could get player value back from it while also clearing payroll to possibly do something else. So he, he's one of those rare big money contracts that's not underwater that has value just because he's performed up to it. And, you know, the market's taken off so much that $15 million for a closer isn't even that nutty at all either. So he stands out as a real asset. I think they would prefer not to. They haven't been the ones shopping them. They're getting asked about it. Uh, Ideally, you could do this with all prospects because you need as much major league depth as you can get. This is not like the deepest roster of all time. Uh, But from what I've heard from rival scouts is that if you really want to make an impact piece, you know, that's going to start with Colton Montgomery. Uh, there are other guys in that system, uh, you know, Jose Rodriguez, Brian Ramos, you know, Christian Mena that I like personally, but I don't know if they're the centerpiece of a big deal where you get an impact above average starting major league player, if it's something less than their top prospect. And I can certainly understand why they're hesitant to do that because you're, they want to be competitive beyond the next two years. And I think Montgomery is your big building block. So <laughs> that's a long way to say, I don't know. I don't think yeah. it'd be Giolito just because the starting pitching market is so intense that, you know, if Giolito was on the market uh, for a bounce-back uh, contract, he'd probably get more than what he's owed in arbitration. Because, you know, if Mike is getting $12 million, I would think a healthy Lucas Giolito would be getting more than $10.5. So it, 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 it's hard, man. I'm, I'm glad I'm not Rick.
2: Yeah, right. That's what I said at the top of the show. If you, oh, I think you may be, may be on, on hold, or with Daryl I said it, that he really has to pull a rabbit out of his hat to to remake this roster without adding extra funds to payroll and maybe without giving up his, his top prospect. I also said, I, I think you'd agree. Like you can convince yourself. We can, we can find a closer from within. We'll figure that part out come February and March. If Liam Hendricks gets us a nice return and strengthens a couple weaknesses. Cause I think fans forget that. Okay. Yeah. You are weakening the ninth inning, but the goal is to strengthen a couple other areas that you really need. Maybe left-handed bat or, or a better defender in the outfit, whatever the case may be. And, you know, Graveman has done it before. or Maybe uh, Crochet will come back. You know, who knows? But I think, do you agree, you could probably talk yourself into finding a ninth inning guy. You may be wrong about it, but you could do it. You could talk yourself into it.
4: Yeah, I mean, Ethan Katz even mentioned Ronaldo Lopez as somebody they see as a future closer at some point down the road. So, yeah, it's definitely the the area of strength of the roster to deal from. Uh, You know, the team just two years ago was saying that Liam Hendricks was the most important target in free agency, that having a closer was that important. But, you know, the, the logic would say that you can find, you can develop your own high-end relievers if you can. They kind of have in the last year of Lopez with Crochet would be an option. I don't, know, I don't think he'd go right to closing or anything like that, but you had Draven sure. as, a, as a very solid back-end reliever that could do that. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely the place where I could see how that would work, how you could kind of deal from that and not be – you know, really hampered by it. So yeah, I, I think the Hendricks trade makes a logical sense, uh, in a way, but I, I given how much they made went out to get him, uh, given how much priority they, they put on getting a top notch closer who was proven, I wonder if they are are ready to make that pivot uh from that, even if it, you know, seems like one of their more viable options at this point.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting few weeks, maybe months here for the White Sox, whereas for other teams, the interesting weeks were in the past. But as Rick Hahn said, it looks like the trade market is going to develop later than the free agent market. So um, there's no second winter meetings for reporters, James. We'll see what they do, but it, it feels like, you know, Christmas or beyond um, is going to be more interesting for the White Sox than to this point, if at least if they pull off a trade. There's
4: nothing more, uh, Something <laughs> more typical of the job than uh, interrupting a holiday because of a trade. So that, that, that only, sounds about right.
2: Only in baseball, James. Thank you. We'll be reading you in the athletic. Thanks for your patience today. Appreciate the insight.
4: All right. Thanks for having me. All
2: right. That's James speaking from the athletic. Thanks to him. Thanks to Daryl Van Scowen. Last uh, half hour tried to put them on both together. Had some technical difficulties there, but we got the most out of them. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Is the number, if you want to react to anything that was said, if you're a little bit frustrated, the Sox haven't done more to this point. If you're frustrated, the payroll isn't higher. Um, If you are happy that they're sort of maybe bringing everybody back, so far at least, and and giving this core another chance. I mean, it doesn't all have to be negative. uh, But it is difficult to see all these other players sign big contracts, these good, talented players, and your team sit out other than, in this case, Mike Clevenger, who has a lot of talent, but he hasn't really been completely healthy for the last few years, Tommy John and the knee issue. So maybe there's more in Mike Clevenger out there to to get out of him. Um, But if you want to sound off on anything, 312-332-3776, the number. This is White Sox Weekly.
1: Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Listen to Chicago's home for sports on the ESPN Chicago app, 100.3 HD2, and ESPN 1000. Now, on the home of the White Sox, here's Connor McKnight.
2: Connor's off today. Jesse Rogers with you. Hope you enjoyed the hour. A lot of it taken up by Darryl Van Scowen from the Sun-Times and James Thegan from the Athletic. It's an interesting conversation with them as Rick Hahn tries to thread the needle here this offseason, change up a few things, the dynamic of their of his roster, uh, without spending too much more money than he did last year, without giving up too much from the major league roster. And really from the minor league system, there's one one player that is coveted, Colson Montgomery, as as James said. But it, it's just it's 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 a Houdini act for Rick Hahn right now. Um, sheets definitely could be part of a package There's a guy that doesn't have a position, but I wouldn't just get rid of him without knowing I've got enough left-handed hitting because that has been a problem the last couple of years. And sheets is as good as they have. He's not as good as what's out there, but he's as good as what they have right now. So if they're not going to trade sheets, they better get him some at bats and they better cross their fingers on Grandel and Moncada returning to some sort of peak form. Because that is more than anything what this team is missing offensively. Left-handed, dangerous hitters that scare pitchers. And there's many more right-handed pitchers than lefties out there. And that's why those lefty hitters are so important. And the White Sox just haven't gotten the best out of these guys that they've signed up for lots and lots of dough. Not cheat so much, but Mankata and Grandel. So the trade market will be interesting, whether it's Sheets, whether it's Liam Hendricks, whether it's a big surprise player like Tim Anderson or one other outfielder or Lucas Giolito. Doesn't sound like they're going to break up the entire core or anything like that, but, yeah, it is possible we could see someone from the major team move on. Doesn't sound like they want to trade Colson Montgomery or Oscar Colas, but you never know. You never know what you're going to hear from another team. So that's coming in the, in the in the next few weeks, maybe a month. We don't know exactly when the trade market is going to heat up. More than likely, it's when these last few big free agents come off the board and opposing teams know exactly what they have and what they need. All right, that's going to do it for me, folks. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the hour. We'll be back next week with White Sox Weekly. Thanks to Daryl Van Scowen. Thanks to James Vegan thanks to you for listening, and thanks to Kendra Smith for producing and spinning the dials. Have a great rest of your Saturday. So long.